The full style and title of Charles is this. His Royal Highness Prince Charles Philip Arthur George, Prince of Wales, Knight of the Garter, Knight of the Thistle, Knight Grand Cross of the Bath, Order of Merit, Knight of the Order of Australia, Companion of the Queen's Service Order, Privy Councillor, Aide de Camp, Earl of Chester, Duke of Cornwall, Duke of Rothesay, Earl of Carrick, Baron of Renfrew, Lord of the Isles, and Prince and Great Steward of Scotland. Yeah. Of course, his kids will call him Dad. I think <laughs> they should. By uh, the title Prince, uh, we understand it to mean that this is his, he is in the hereditary line to the throne. So it doesn't necessarily mean he will be the king, but it means he's in the hereditary line. If you're a prince or you're a princess, you're in the hereditary line for the throne somehow. You're in the, the royal family. Now, his other titles will say something about his role or his responsibilities or his authority that he has in his domain that he covers. So he's a knight and he's a duke and an earl and a companion and a counselor and an aide and a baron. But I think, of course, the most impressive is always prince. Prince, You know, like, how do you get past prince is like, whoop, way up there for me. The son of the king or queen. You know, Prince Charles, he's Prince of Wales, Prince of Scotland, Prince of Peace. Okay, that one doesn't fit, really, does it? No, that would be a weird one to add there, wouldn't it? It would be. Prince of Peace, can you imagine taking that title? I'm the, I'm the Prince of Wales, I'm the Prince of Peace. It's kind of crazy. Our Advent Sermon Series is about what God calls himself, what names he claims, because God is personal, and there's a way that he wants to be known. He has a name. He has many names. The way he wants to be known, revealed through these names. I am who I am. Whatever I am, I will be. You're going to find out who I am. Jesus came. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, another one of the names. Yeshua, God saves. Isaiah has a few more names he lists. Titles God claims. Let's read them. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's a big deal, these names. The living God wants to be known as Prince of Peace. The living God wants to be known as Prince of Peace. And a prince is meant to rule. 
I don't know if you know this, but um, I, I know there's a lot of Canadians who, who follow and they love the royal family, and that's cool. That's cool. That's great. And some of you don't, and that's okay too. Um, if you do follow the royal family, then you'll know things like, oh, William and Kate just moved out, and maybe they're in a, a little bit of a conflict with Harry and Meghan. We don't know why, but it seems like they've moved out. And, and you know, maybe you, maybe you like really follow the, the detail, and you're like up on the rumors, and you're wondering what's happening with them, and, and that's okay, you know. But, but I don't know if you do know that, um, for everyone, that we, as Canadians, we... We have a queen. We, she's our queen, technically. And we would, if we're going to swear allegiance to someone, it would be to the queen. So I looked this up. Do you know what, what our pledge of allegiance would be? This is, what I, this is what you would have to say. I, Jonathan, do swear that I will be faithful and true and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, Queen of Canada, her heirs and successors. Now, let's be honest. If Queen Elizabeth decides to conscript an army to overthrow Parliament, I'm not going. <laughs> and probably you're not going either. Actually, she might have a really hard time doing that, even though lots of people have pledged this very allegiance. If she tried to call in the promise, we'd all bail out, wouldn't we? I mean, I don't think it's going to go. We, re- we would rebel again. I mean, Canadians too. The Americans did it, and, you know, and the French did it to their monarchy, and the Russians did it to their monarchy, and the British did it to their monarchy in a different way. They rebelled and, you know, put her to the side. Because we don't actually consider ourselves subjects. I mean, we don't. We don't actually submit to her. And so that's why in a democracy, the idea, the concept of a ruling monarch is really foreign to us. So when we talk about it, we should understand that we don't understand this. We don't live in this culture, this world, where we are subject to the monarchy. But it's important for us to understand we do live under the rule of something or someone. We are under rule. And so we should figure out whose rule are we under? Whose rule do we submit to? Menno Simon said this, The scriptures teach that there are two opposing princes and two opposing kingdoms. The one is the prince of peace, and the other is the prince of strife. Each of these princes has his particular kingdom, and as the prince is, so also is the kingdom. The prince of peace is Christ Jesus. His kingdom is the kingdom of peace, which is the church. His messengers are the messengers of peace. His word is the word of peace. His body is the body of peace. And his children are the seed of peace. There's a kingdom that's here and it's still coming to. The kingdom is the rule and reign of Jesus. Colossians 2.10 says, And you've been filled in him, Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus, the head of all rule and authority. Ephesians 1.20-22 says, God, he, God, raised him, Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. I mean, that sounds pretty 
pretty established, pretty, like a pretty big deal. Jesus isn't like one of the kings. He's the king of kings. He's the one above everyone, the rule above every rule, the authority above every authority. A prince is meant to rule. That's why they're given that title. So I've struggled over the years with why Jesus didn't set up an empire. I don't know if you struggle with this too. Maybe I'm alone. But this is what I struggle over. I I wonder why didn't Jesus make an empire? I mean, why not a Christian empire? It it could be awesome. Couldn't it be awesome? If Jesus started a, a Christian empire, I mean, we could protect the weak and we could care for the poor and we would have family values and a utopia garden of Eden and we could have crosses on our shields and Jesus would be our emperor. It would be great. Why a stable? Why angel choirs? Why not angel armies? Herod is killing babies in the story. Why not now? Why doesn't Jesus take the throne now? Wouldn't it be time to crown him as the king who reigns forever? Assyrians and Babylonians and Persians and Greeks and Romans, they all got a turn. So why not Israel? Why not Christian, the the church? Why, Why not? Lots of martyr blood is shed before Constantine takes the the empire and turns it Christian. And the disciples who were with Jesus, they thought they would reestablish a a national sovereignty. They thought, we're going to get rid of the Romans and we're going to do this. And they anticipated a return to war and to revolution. And they were expecting to violently welcome the kingdom. That's what they're expecting. Their swords were ready if not their resolve, in the garden. But it's a kingdom, not an empire. Jesus invites us to a government and peace of which there will be no end, not the forced tyranny of a dictator. It's not a dictatorship that comes. It's a kingdom. And you and I are going to have to choose whether we submit to this rule We're going to have to choose whether we submit to it. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. I think it's so interesting how he writes this. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let it. Let it like you could not let it. Like you could choose not to let the peace of Christ rule. Is that what he's saying? I remember a number of years ago when we had really little kids, I went to a friend and I, I poured out my heart of feeling totally under pressure in every area of my life. I, I met him and I, I, we sat down and I said, I feel so pressured right now. Like I can't get out. And all the things I feel pressured about aren't things I can change. Like I feel pressure to be a great husband and do all these things and my family and my kids and, and to pressure to be a great dad and, and help raise all these crazy little beings. And there's so many of them in my house. I don't know how they all got here. And, and, I'm, and I'm a pastor in a church and there's so much pressure in that. And I don't know how to get up. And, and then I've got, we have financial pressure and stress and I can't change that. If I knew how to make instant money, I would. I'd, so I'm under all these pressure. I don't know how to fix them all. And my friend said, well, we should pray. I was like, 
I'm not going to pray. I'm pastor. I don't pray. No. I said, okay, fine. Let's pray. And so we prayed. And as we prayed, like, I just got this picture of Jesus. And I just kept picturing Jesus. And Jesus was speaking words over my heart. And I experienced just a, a, the, just the strongest sense of Jesus. And when we finished the prayer time, I was like, I feel so good. I feel so great. And he was like, well, what changed? I was like, nothing changed. Nothing at all. It's like, so nothing changed and you feel totally different? I was like, yeah. Just the difference is I'm letting Christ rule is the difference. All these things that I had going, I'm going to let Christ rule. And it changed everything. In that moment, I could go home and feel totally at peace. The King Jesus asks for your allegiance, for your surrender, for your submission to the governance of this kingdom. This prince is meant to rule, and you are meant to let him. Let him rule in you. And it's a rule of peace. The most common word for peace in the Old Testament is the the Hebrew word shalom. Maybe you've heard that word before, shalom. And it's used over 250 times in the Old Testament. It means a lot of different things, maybe things you didn't expect it to mean, but it means completeness and soundness and welfare and peace, safety, soundness in your body, health, prosperity, peace as in the quiet, tranquility, the contentment, peace as in friendship, between people, humans, and also peace in relationship with God. And it was often talked about to do with covenant. And then there's peace from war, and then there's peace as an adjective. I mean, that covers a lot. When I look at this list of, uh, of things, I think, like, I want all of it. I'll take it all, even peace as an adjective. Just give it all to me, wrap it up, and give it to me. Where do I get it? Just let me know. Where do I get it? Now, here's the thing. Love is unconditional. Love is unconditional. God loves you no matter what. God loves you. doesn't matter what you do. You go over there, you go over there, do whatever. God's love is there. It's never ending. It just keeps coming and coming and coming, God's love. Peace isn't talked about like that. There are places you can go to get peace, and places you can go to miss peace. And so it's important that we hear and understand, how do we get peace? Because I want all this. I don't know about you. Isaiah 59 verse 8 says, They have turned them to crooked roads. No one who walks on them will know peace. There's a way you can walk and not know peace. Or Isaiah 48, 18 says, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. God says you could have had peace flowing into your life like a river or like waves just never stops. If only you had listened, you could have had that. So I say, I want it. How do I get it? Well, there's three things we're going to talk about right now. The first one is, there's peace through salvation. Thomas Merton says this, we're not at peace with others because we're not at peace with ourselves. 
And we're not at peace with ourselves because we're not at peace with God. I mean, that is a true statement. We're, we're in conflict with other people because we're in conflict here. And we're conflict here because we're not at peace with God. We haven't worked that through. There is no peace when we are at odds with God. And the Bible describes our starting point as being far off or separated or lost, broken, removed, at war, enemies of God. But there is a peace that comes through the atoning work of Jesus at the cross. A place where Jesus made peace for us. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Or Colossians 1.20. Colossians, yeah, we love Colossians now. By making peace through his blood, Jesus, making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So for some of us, the peace we're looking for is going to come in surrender to Jesus. To coming to him and saying, I'm done doing it my own way. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to surrender to you. Because this is his offer. I mean, he says, bring me your sin. Bring me your failure. Bring me your hypocrisy, your lies, your fear, your anger, your pain, your insecurity, your good deeds and your bad deeds. Bring it all. And let's bring it to the cross. And I have something for you instead. It's called peace. I'm offering it to you. I died for it. We just, we talked about it in Colossians. Obliterated the record against us. Broke the wall of hostility and made peace between us and God. And that's the offer for you and me. And some of you, that's what you're looking for. The peace in salvation. And... Secondly, there's a peace that we get through discipline. Yay. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Discipline your children and they will give you peace. I'm, I'm getting that put on our wall. <laughs> Painted on. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. For those who have been trained by it. Now, I have five kids. So, so when you tell me there's peace on the other side of discipline, I say, discipline is not peaceful. That is not a peaceful thing. When I'm disciplining kids in our family. That's not peaceful. Actually, it, it involves a lot of screaming and tantrums and frustration. It's not pleasant. It is not pleasant. And sometimes it involves repeated training. And mostly there's no peace for me in that. It's like I'm going into a situation I know like this is training and this might take a while and that's work. It's not pleasant or peaceful. But here's the thing. It says it produces a harvest. And whenever you hear the word harvest, you should immediately think, Delayed gratification. When someone said, oh yeah, there's a harvest. Delayed gratification. You don't get it now. You get it later. 
That's what a harvest is. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon the crop will come in. And discipline produces, reaps, when you sow that seed, it reaps peace. It grows peace. So if you want peace, there's some on the other side of discipline. Maybe it's the discipline of training your kids. Maybe it's the discipline of being daily in the word. Or maybe it's eating well, or exercise, or time management, or quality time with your family or your spouse, or fill in the blank. But discipline produces peace. Thirdly, there's peace through wisdom. Peace through wisdom. Proverbs 3.17 says of wisdom, Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. There's a story of a guy who's he's in a flood. The, the river bank overflows, and, and so he's got to go to his second floor, and the water's rising, and he's like, oh, no, this is bad. And so he's, he's Lord, I, I really need you to save me. If you'll just save me, I'll, I'll give you my life, and I'll do whatever you want. I'll be a missionary or whatever, and I'll read my Bible. I pr- just please save me. And the water rises and rises, and he starts coming in, and then suddenly his neighbor shows up in a rowboat. And the neighbor's like, hey, jump on in. Come on, we're going to dry land. And the guy's like, no, no, don't worry. God's going to save me. Don't worry. I'll see you later. And he waits, and the water goes up to And so he goes up to the next floor, and, he's got, and the water's rising. He gets up on the roof, and a motorboat comes by. Hey, man, we're going to save you. Come on, get in the boat. And he's like, no, no, God's going to save me. Don't worry, I prayed. I, I trust God. He's going to save me. And, and the boat goes off, and the water keeps rising. And so the guy gets, he's up on his chimney finally. He's like up there in the waters right there. And then he hears this beautiful sound. I can't do a helicopter very well. And so the, the helicopter comes in. It's the Coast Guard. And they're like, we're lowering the ladder. Grab hold. We're going to save you. It's Coast Guard. And he's like, don't worry about it. God's going to save me. I'm okay. And they lower it. And, he, and they go off. And then he dies. This is a sad joke. And he goes to heaven, and he sees God, and he's like, God, what, what was the deal? I trusted you. I, I prayed that you would save me. I thought you would save me. You know, and God said, well, I tried to save you. I tried to save you three times. I sent a rowboat, and I sent a motorboat, and then I finally sent a helicopter. And you didn't want to be saved. This is the story for some of us. Wisdom. There's... There's people you meet sometimes, and, and they'll share a difficult story with you, and you'll be like, oh, that's so horrible. And the next time you meet them, you say, hey, how the, how's that going? They're like, oh, it's even worse. I mean, I did this and this, and then it was all really bad. And you're like, oh, wow, okay, well, maybe shouldn't have done that, but okay. You know, and the next time you see them, like, now, is that all better? And they're like, no, it's even worse. It's worse. And every time you see them, it's worse, and everything's worse all the time. I call them chronic strugglers. I have a special term for you. No. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we're in a cycle like that because we're choosing not to learn from wisdom, but to learn from consequence. People around us are giving us input. And we say, no, 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 I'm just going to try this. No, I'm pretty sure it's going to work. Ah, it didn't work. Oh, man. Well, I learned a lesson. You're like, that's a painful lesson. There's not a lot of peace in that. But there is a peace in wisdom. And we can pray and ask the Lord. We can listen to the counsel of wise people in our lives. And there's peace that comes from wisdom. Now, some of you are like, 
you're feeling down. You're feeling depressed. You say, well, so peace is, comes through discipline, and I'm, I'm hooped. comes through wisdom, and I've already screwed that up. I'm in a big hole. So I haven't gone where wisdom is. Now I'm in a big hole. Thanks, Pastor John. It's a lot. And there's good news for you, too. Because do you know that peace also is a gift? It's a gracious gift from God. And so even if you've royally messed things up, and you don't, you don't deserve peace at all because you just royally messed up, you can still go to God and say, I need peace. Will you give me peace? And one of the fruit of his spirit is peace. And as he comes and fills us, he brings peace that's not from anything, just from him. And that's good news for us too. And we become people of peace, is the idea. They, uh, they had a name for people who, uh, who followed Jesus. They, they called them Christians. At first at Antioch, it was like a nickname. Christians never, the, the, the term Christian never used to mean churchgoer. It didn't mean goody-goody. And it didn't mean, uh, it wasn't connected to the idea of religion or like even a moral life. Like recently, Maddie told me this story. She overheard a conversation at school and someone was like talking about something they were doing. And they said, well, like, you know, I, I didn't do this bad thing because, well, I mean, well, it's not like I'm a Christian, but like, you know, I still didn't do it. And it was like, Christian was like, oh, the moral people or something. It's like, it's this term that means something to people. But back in the day, it didn't mean that. When someone called someone else a Christian, what it meant was, it was a description of people who followed Jesus. People, the word is like Christ ones or Christ followers. That's what Christian was. Or they would call them Nazarenes. Or another nickname they had for them was People of the way. People of the way. That's what they were called. Because they followed a certain way. They followed the way of Jesus. And they looked different and they sounded different and they responded differently. differently. And the truth is that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and we're his subjects submitted to his rule. It stands that our lives would demonstrate and show a life of peace, that we would walk in the way of peace. The invitation Jesus gives to his followers was, take up your cross and follow me. Luke 9, 23, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says this before he dies. I don't know if you've thought about this, but I've thought about it. Jesus says this. He's walking somewhere and all his disciples and, you know, he starts telling a story about farmers and maybe they're walking by farmers and he tells a story about, you know, money and there's people talking about money and Jesus is walking down the road. He starts talking about take up your cross. I don't know if that would seem weird. Picture yourself as the disciples. I mean, they're maybe looking around like, did someone get crucified? Did Did I just pass someone who got crucified? I didn't notice. That's weird. Like, it's pretty big deal when you see it. Maybe, is there someone getting crucified? Why is Jesus talking about this? Maybe they would, they would think, really, a cross? It's a Roman thing. It's an it's a ugly thing. It's death. I want to hear more about this great kingdom, the kingdom of peace, you know, all that. What's, what's the deal with the death thing? 
it makes sense to us now. Now that Jesus died, carried his cross, half dead, beaten, crushed by the whip and the punches and the crown of thorns and the blood loss, he carried a cross, his cross. And he drank the cup and he chose love. And the Romans executed Jesus for it violently, clinically, with the spear thrust. Make sure he's dead. Yes, we don't need to break his legs. And Jesus says, take up your cross. Follow me. Death and life daily surrender. Follow in the death and the resurrection. You know, when I was in grade 7, my, uh, my father felt the Lord speaking to him. And I've told you this story before, many of you. Um, and he couldn't shake that sense that God was speaking to him. And so uh, eventually he shared it. And the sense was that God was, was impressing on him to carry a full-size cross in downtown Victoria on weekend nights, on Fridays and Saturdays. And so he felt this. That's a picture of him there. He would carry this cross, and he felt like he wasn't supposed to say anything to anyone. He would just walk, and he would look people in the eye as they passed him. And then if someone said, why are you doing this? He would have a response. He would say, well, you know, let me tell you my story. I, you know, and he would share his own testimony of how Jesus changed his life. And often that would get a conversation going. You might stand for a while talking with someone about faith or about Jesus. Now, sometimes I walked with him on usually one, maybe one weekend night. I went and walked with him. And we were spat on. We were mocked. The cross was sometimes pushed or kicked. We were misunderstood, mostly by Christian church people, actually. Those are the people who didn't like it. But the street youth in downtown Victoria would call him the cross man, and they would come looking for him. Like he was their chaplain. Where's the cross? Have you seen the cross man tonight? Yeah, no, he's down on Douglas. Okay, yeah, let's go. So this experience marked me, obviously. <laughs> it would mark you, right? It marked me. So when I read Jesus say, take up your cross, that's what I picture. That's what I picture. Like this cross like walking around in town with this cross. And then I have the question, what does that look like if I'm walking around with a cross like that? What does peace look like? What, is, what do my responses look like? Can I, can I chew out the incompetent store clerk with the cross on my shoulder? Can I treat someone with prejudice or fear with this cross? Can I, can I live in unforgiveness while walking around with this cross? Can violence accompany this cross? The cross I'm called to carry everywhere I go, this way of peace. Now, as soon as we talk about things like this, you know, traditionally people think of people of peace as kind of weak. And maybe we've used even the word, you know, pacifist. And we say, oh, that's, those people are weak. Afraid to fight. But we've been given all authority and power by Jesus. And people of the cross are people of power. 
people who stood their ground throughout history, Brother Andrews and David Wilkerson's and Corey Tenboom's and apostles and martyrs who stood their ground. I can remember one night walking with the cross, and we ended up on one corner or in this certain area, and a bunch of guys came out of the pub. It was late. And they came out of the pub, and one of them was this burly construction worker, a big, huge guy, and he came up, and he's yelling at my dad, Hey, get that out of here. I'm going to beat you up. Get that, get that out of here. And he comes over, and then a crowd starts gathering. And there were some policemen who kind of came over, and they're all watching. Everyone's kind of watching what's going to happen. And this guy comes over, and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punch you. I'm going to put you right in the face. And my dad, toe-to-toe, said, you can't touch me unless Jesus Christ specifically allows you to. And the guy's like, oh, yeah? Well, what if he allows me to punch you in the face? And then my dad said, then I'll do to you what Jesus did to those who punched him. I will forgive you. And it was like the air came out of the balloon. He just deflated. And then the cops walked over and walked him away. The deflated man. Deflated by love, by grace, by the power of the cross. Maybe this is why people of the way have never struck me as weak or spineless. Maybe the problem is we fail to understand just the power we have, the authority we carry. 1 Peter 3.11 says they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. It's a way we pursue. It's a thing we're after. Psalm 37.37 says a future awaits those who seek peace. It's this thing we're, we're fighting for. Not with fists, but with the power of Jesus. People of peace are people of the cross. They have died to themselves. And people of peace are people of power. They live for Christ and in the power of his spirit. God wants to be known as Prince of Peace. He wants us to know him as Prince of Peace. Jesus is our prince. He's the sovereign. He's the ruler. And our response to this rule must be surrender. We'll have to let peace rule. We'll have to surrender to it and to him. And Jesus is our peace. The peace we're looking for, that you're looking for, and I'm looking for in my life is found in Jesus. He died to kill the hostility and reconcile us through the cross to our Father who loves us. And we walk under the rule of peace. And there's peace to be found on the other side of discipline. And there's peace to be found on the other side of wisdom. Places we can go and find it. And we become people of peace. It stands to reason that his followers would look suspiciously like him. Like people would say, hmm, that, you're acting a bit weird. Like weird like Jesus weird. Like, yes, that would, work. that would stand to reason that. People who follow in this way would become, they would look more and more like this, like people of peace, people of the cross, 
steeped in self-denial and surrender, overflowing with his strength and his power, transformed. Let's pray.